I would reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. If you see someone in your area doing work that you have an interest in, I'd ask them out to coffee um, or start volunteering. I think I always am a big fan of like the phrase, fake it till you make it. And I always encourage people to follow their dreams and don't get shy. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 127 of Life in Motion. I've got Lexi Girdlefeld with me from California Outdoor Recreation Partnership. They power a voice for the outdoor recreation industry to shape policy, support investments, and engage an inclusive community of outdoor participants in California, all around the benefits of outdoor recreation. I'm excited to hear her story and why their mission is so important. Lexi, thank you for being on the show today. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very yeah. lucky to be a part of this. Yes, yes. I'm excited, and especially to to dive into some of those things that I mentioned um, in the in the intro. But before that, let's take some time to to learn who uh, who Lexi is. You know, where did you grow up? What hobbies did you have growing up? What what led you down this path in the first place? Yeah, um, I feel really fortunate. I grew up on the coast of California um, in a small town called Ojai. It's in Ventura County and just south of Santa Barbara and about an hour and a half north of L.A. And um, my parents' property was about 10 miles from the Los Padres National Forest. So I grew up close to the public lands. In high school, I was very into hiking and trail running. I was on uh, multiple sport teams at my high school, but trail running was a a big part of my life back then. And um, I also was very fortunate. My dad got me into alpine skiing when I was not even three years old yet. (laughs) And so I grew up skiing. Uh, We would go to Mammoth Mountain in California's Eastern Sierra. And I just grew to love the outdoors. It was um, a passion. And I didn't even realize how it had just been part of my coexistence um, with you know everything that goes on in daily life, but also having this connection with nature and it was basically my church. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense to kind of, you know, have that, that sacred place to go to, if you will. And, um, so it sounds like your, your family, you know, if, if, uh, you got into alpine skiing, you know, before you were even three, it sounds like your family had a, a fairly good, uh, outdoor background as well before having kids, right? Yeah. My dad was an obsessed skier. My parents were both really into camping. Um, we would go every summer to a place called Mammoth Pools, which is actually on the West side of the Sierra south of Yosemite. And it's these big pool reservoirs that are really beautiful um, with granite. And we went camping uh, since I was a baby there. And then until I was um, in elementary school, I believe, and we stopped going quite a bit. But um, my mom was uh, disabled growing up. She actually had thrown her back out playing tennis against my dad, not competitive at all. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) Yeah, she had a couple of back surgeries. So unfortunately, she wasn't super outdoorsy growing up. Um, She's gotten a lot better in the past 10 years and goes for walks um, on trails and things like that. But uh, she wasn't into skiing. I actually got her back on skis four years ago for the first time since the 80s. Um, It went okay. She was terrified the whole time. But yeah, it's it's fun. (laughs) 
that's 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 all. Yeah. well and it's it's crazy how much it seems like you know the uh accessibility aspect of you know skiing and you know e-bikes and you know all those different uh things are kind of expanding so it's cool to be able to i guess to have that experience to, to reinvigorate that experience i guess it would be the right way to say that so yeah um, access is a, is a huge yeah, yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you know, as as you know, growing up, you uh, there was no lack of the outdoors with you and sounds like, you know, you were just stuck in a basement all day, which is terrible. Uh, <laughs> no, actually very jealous of all those experiences, um, a little bit different than than mine just from the location when I was growing up. But so so, you, you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, sort of your your church in a sense. It was your your go to place because of that freedom uh, and the sense of mind there. How, like, as you got older, like, how did, did that, like, start to expand more? I guess that mindset and the, almost the importance of it. Definitely. I, I, I wish I could say there was a straight trajectory, straight trajectory um, to where I am now. But, you know, I got distracted with college. I, to be honest, got distracted with partying in particular in college and um, ended up working in government and politics right after college. And, that was a full-time job. Um, and how I reconnected with the outdoors was my dad invited me to go hike Mount Whitney, um, the highest peak in the continental U.S. It's like 14,505 feet, I think. And I was going through a breakup at the time. I was pretty out of shape, to be honest. Um, and we went and did an overnight on Whitney, and I fell back in love with the outdoors and realized that the outdoors was also a place I could go that it was out of cell service. So <laughs> in politics and government, they call you when you're on vacation. <laughs> like yeah. You don't really have this clean break. And so I realized, Oh wow. If I get into backpacking, they can't reach me. So that's what I did. <laughs> so a convenient hobby, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, it's it sounds like the um, the timing of the reconnection with kind of everything that was going on was was kind of perfect in a sense, I guess, if, if you call it that um, and, and probably help may, maybe put things back into perspective and, and kind of make that reconnection. So from from there, besides, uh, you know, uh, backpacking and, of course, um, using that as a as a way to actually disconnect from from the job um what what other things did you kind of get into from there kind of once you had that that reconnection i did a five-day trip on the john muir trail we did it i think 57 miles was one of my first ones which for anyone getting into backpacking i don't recommend you just jump into 57 miles but that's kind of how i am um <laughs> and <laughs> i started uh well i had switched to snowboarding in my teens. And then I went back to snowboarding a bit and realized I kind of missed skiing and I tried it and it came back very quickly. And so I started Alpine skiing with friends and I was driving California's 395 so much. I was going, you know, it's a five or six hour drive from where I was living. Um, that finally I decided when I was I think 28, I decided to move up to Mammoth and live here <laughs> instead of spending so much money on gas. And so I relocated to the mountains and I've been here four years now and love it. I People ask me if I could do 
one thing differently, that cliche question, you know, if you could do one thing differently, what would you do? And I always say I would have moved here sooner. <laughs> so, well, what, to that point, what, what was it about them? I mean, so obviously there was, you know, you don't want to drive five or six hours away, but obviously, you know, the landscape and the environment is probably a little bit different. What was it that you're like, yep, this is home and I should have done this so long ago. Just the access. It's my backyard is where people come to vacation and go on trails. And, you know, it's like I can go out in the evening and go to world-class climbing right outside my door. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I'm an hour from the Tuolumne Meadows gate <laughs> into Yosemite National Park. Um, I'm, I don't know, 30 minutes from the Owens River Gorge, which is world-class climbing near Bishop. I've, and I'm about a five minute drive from Mammoth Mountain Ski Area. So it's just like, you don't even have to have a gym membership <laughs> in a place like this. The outdoors is your gym and your playground. You just you just pick a place and go, I feel like doing this today. All right. Hop in the car for, you know, a couple minutes and, and there we are. So when you when you moved out there, were you still in kind of the, the politics world, I guess, the government world? Yeah, I was. I so I was working for a congressional member for a few years um, and I was pretty burnt out. Honestly, politics weren't great in 2016. I think we can all agree no matter what party you're with. <laughs> Yeah. And and then the public lands management came out under the Trump administration and they're going to get rid of or severely reduce Bears Ears and so many issues that I had worked on um, with public lands and resources before. And I just was so disheartened. I left my job and started working for a public affairs firm remotely. I worked on a lot of environmental issues. Um everything from steelhead trout to water agencies. It was, it was fun. Um, and that allowed me to move up to Mammoth. And when I moved here, I took a job. I was working uh, for a woman that helped with political campaigns. Um, but about, I think, a year into being here, I took the job with California Outdoor Recreation Partnership, um, as you mentioned earlier on this podcast. And um, I've been there three years now and it's been great. We're a statewide organization. So the stipulation is I can live anywhere in California, <laughs> which I don't argue with. <laughs> yeah. Works out pretty well as well. So, so to that point, how, I guess, when was your first, um, introduction with them, I guess, to, to find the, you know, learn about what they're doing. And then of course, you know, figuring out how to get your foot in the door to, you know, now working for them. Yeah. So I guess I have to back up. I worked for a congressional member that represented Ventura County in California. Um, and in that district was Patagonia. And I partnered with Patagonia on a project around um, the time Damnation came out, which is their film on dam removals and restoring natural habitats for fish passageways. And we worked on getting funding to remove the Matilla Dam, which is a dam on the Ventura River um, that, or above the Ventura River, um, that isn't really necessary. Everyone in the watershed district, everyone agrees this dam needs to come down, but it needed funding. And so I worked on that project. It still doesn't come down. It's it's, it's a hefty project. Um, and the Army Corps of Engineers has to be involved. And there's a huge silt backup. But during that time, I met Patagonia's um, staff that works on 
environmental policy projects. And I was like, whoa, this is a job? Outdoor recreation <laughs> and environmental advocacy? This is a thing? And so I met with him, um, Hans Cole at Patagonia, and he introduced me to this world. And I um, started looking into it more and he, he's on the board for the, or I think he's the board president now for the conservation Alliance. And, um, basically what I started doing was volunteering. Um, and so I went to outdoor retailer, I volunteered with Camber outdoors for their fundraisers. I was just trying to network and meet people. And then I found California outdoor recreation partnership and they were having an advocacy event in Sacramento. And so I went to the lobby day and lobbied with them um, as a volunteer and got to know them. And uh, a few months later, I had this job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But my goal to find a job like this started in fall of 2016. And then I got hired in this role in December 2019. So it took me about three years to find my dream job. Well, you know, three years, you know, considering all that, you know, that's uh, not not too terrible of a, of a wait, you know, for something that, you know, your dream job. So um, so so that's awesome. It's cool kind of how things are kind of serendipitous like that um, and they just kind of build and, and lead into each other. So what I, I guess with that, we've, we've probably got a little bit ahead of ourselves in that. So what what is your is your role there? And then also like. I, it seems like there's a fairly large scope of work that you all focus on. Um, so what are what are some of those things? Yeah, so we're a fairly new nonprofit. Um, I think we were officially founded in 2019. And they were functioning a little bit before officially forming together. Um, so the work was put in place. But my role is the I, has been the membership coordinator for the past few years. And I'm the only staff member, <laughs> so that's how small we are. Um, and we have a working board, so that's been really helpful um, yeah. for me. So, yeah, I just it's, sorry, it said it might have lost connection. Okay, cool, we're good. Um, so yeah, and so I couldn't do it without our working board. I also couldn't do it without our partners, like Outdoor Industry Association and Outdoor Alliance and Outdoor Outreach folks we partner with and our members. Um, but right now I'm in the, in the negotiation phase for a title change because my role has evolved quite a bit and, um, (laughs) I'm operating at more of a director level. So yeah, the, the title is going to have director in the name. I just don't know exactly what yet. And that's being approved over the next couple of months. I'm really excited about transitioning into a new role, but basically what I do is everywhere from (laughs) fundraising to policy advocacy, to membership coordination. Um, I put on our events. I put on our lobbying with our lobbyists. Luckily, we do have a lobbyist. Um, and it is it is a wide scope of work because when you think of the outdoor industry, there are so many issues. Yeah. And there's, and, and you know, kind of each of those pieces, I'm sure from fundraising to policy to membership, they kind of all build on to each other because you know you need uh money and then you need people and of course you know people that can you know help help initiate that change so is that sort of the the strain that it kind of works or like how you know with so many definitely when it especially when it comes to policy i mean there's obviously a lot of things some things take a long time as you mentioned with the with the dam and that kind of stuff what i guess what is it that typical kind of process of like finding these these needs and then addressing them kind of look like it's 
there's a two-way process, I would say. We have one where, like, I'll see a bill pop up and I'll know, like, that is totally in our scope of work. We need to look at supporting this. Um, sometimes I see legislation that we might have an interest in, so we just watch it and maybe we don't have a position on it. But typically it's like I see this, maybe it's a climate resilience bill. We're really big into climate preve- climate change prevention. And we'll just, you know, go and support it. Um, that's one way. Another way is we get pitched a lot. I have a lot of people come to us and say, hey, I have this idea for a bill. <laughs> Do you think you'd want to support it? So then we run it through the board and see if it's something that's within our scope. So um, it's, you know, there's there's two ways that we find it, everything. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm sure uh, I, I didn't even think about the the second way, you know, people coming to you with ideas, which I'm sure, um, you know, depending on the scope of those ideas can obviously make it more challenging than some of the other ones, uh, just because of all of the, the moving pieces and parts of that. What, I guess, what are some of the, the different, um, I guess, projects or, or legislation or whatnot that you that you have been able to, you know, affect or at least sway in the right direction? Yeah, um, it was a little difficult coming into this role because I started December 2019. And in March, obviously, we were all in this pandemic. And so the legislature kind of focused primarily on pandemic issues um, that year. But we were already supporting two major bills moving through the California state legislature. And those were one was a climate bond where seven billion dollars related to everything from drought to wildfire prevention to having urban cooling centers Um and helping the state be resilient against climate change. And then another bill was also climate related. It's a 30 by 30, which is uh, basically it's a, actually a global initiative under the United Nations to protect 30% of the world's land and waters by the year 2030. And so this was California's version. And what it was was protecting 30% of California's public lands and coastal waters by the year 2030. And that includes 200 miles off the coastline. And so we went to bat on this bill. Um, It went through the California State Assembly with ease, and then it went into the California State Senate and got held up in Senate appropriations. So I organized lobby meetings to meet with Senate Appropriations Committee um, staff and with members of the committee and I basically got shut down. <laughs> it was like, oh, hey, um, didn't you hear the um, Senate pro tem said that everything needs to have a pandemic focus? And this we don't see a focus here. And we're like, well, no, this is really important. It's about climate and we need to act now. And, it, you know, it, it actually died in Senate appropriations that year. Um, but fortunately, Governor Newsom signed into executive order on October 7th of that year, um, 30 by 30, which uh, basically made that bill law. And so it focused pri- primarily on the biodiversity side of it and conservation work. Uh, there was an equity component with access to the outdoors that was left out that was later followed up with in a bill um, in the state legislature. To and that passed this year actually to make equity a part of 30 by 30, which is great. Um, but yeah, that was a big bill we were involved with. And I, I tell people, I'm like, oh, we even got death threats to really? our Instagram account over 
that one. Yeah, which it, it sounds surprising, but when it comes to protection, people get scared because there are a lot of people's livelihood where their job relies on having access. So a good example is um, I think about 300 commercial fishermen called in on that bill to express concerns about it regarding marine sanctuaries um, because they thought it would impact their business and um, their livelihood. And so we had, uh, you know, hunters, fishermen contacting our Instagram account and not saying very nice things. So, um, you know, it's really interesting about when it comes to conservation issues with things like that. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, I understand the livelihood side of it, but I don't know if it's, you know, necessary to take it that extreme, I I guess. And that, you know, that's another point too. Like when, when those issues come up, is there, is there like a way to like balance those like types of concerns from the individuals that are against it? Like where it's kind of like a win-win for everybody, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's really challenging because so these folks are listening to their associations, right? And whatever their their association is putting out is what they're listening to. And so it was I remember they're calling in they're like we're with hook and bullet. <laughs> That's just what they said and it, that was an interesting one for me. Um if we can get in front of them, normally I am able to explain what, you know, protection and conservation means to us and um, how it can be processed in a way that they're able to get their commercial fishing license still within these areas or like, oh, we're going to, hey, it's just 30% of 200 miles off the coastline. So we're going to go after these areas, not where you're fishing or, you know, negotiations is key. Um, We did have that with the mountain bikers. Basically, the Wilderness Act disallows mountain biking within wilderness. And so that bill, I believe that act passed over 20 years ago now, I believe. And so a lot of mountain bikers still have a sour taste in their mouth when it comes to protection, right? Because they lost mountain biking trails with that. And it also impacts mountain biking business and uh, other people that provide, you know, hydration and other products to that industry. And so um, all of them have a little bit of a concern. How is this going to impact outdoor recreation, right? And so when it came to that bill, they were really concerned with the word protection. And I had to tell them, well, this is how we see protection. And it's not we don't see it taking away your access unless it really impacts biodiversity and an endangered species, right? So um, we are able to come to common ground on that issue with them. Yeah, and that, I mean, that makes sense, you know, to, you know, the, the right words that you need to use for it, such as protection can be, um, uh, construed in different ways, you know, depending on it and kind of misunderstood in that sense. Um, so I can definitely see where, you know, having those, those actual conversations with the people to explain, you know, what is going on, why it's important. And also saying, Hey, we're not like trying to tell you, you can't get out any outside anymore. You know, we just want to, you know, protect this wildlife or, you know, whatever it may be. I can, Definitely see how that could be a challenging part of kind of the whole um, the whole process. <laughs> yeah, we I mean, how I see it is like protection is against development or oil and gas leasing. That's something that happens on national forests and BLM lands that's not included in the protect, protected areas for this type of thing. Um, we don't see it as like 
you know, people going hiking or fishing or biking. That's not what I see, um, what we're protecting against. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And people, you know, have, have their, their own assumptions sometimes that are, that are misconstrued. Um, so I, I guess, so as that, you know, that's the policy side of it too. Um, but you know, I, also, you know, trying to, um, you know, in, encourage kind of the inclusivity and, and accessibility and some of those other things that we sort of mentioned earlier, as far as outdoor recreation goes, what are, is there anything specific that you're doing in regards to that? In regards to outdoor recreation specifically? Sorry. Can you repeat yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. As, as, yeah. Sorry. As, yeah. As far as, you know, obviously the policy to protect the land, but then also is, is, is there anything kind of in place to kind of you know, I guess it'd, it'd also be helping some of those concerns, but as far as to open up more places that are in a safe area and, and whatnot, not being protected okay. in that sense to, to help get, get more people outside and, and understand in that sense. Yeah, definitely. So we recently have been partnering with the California Natural Resources Agency under Deputy Secretary Catherine Toy, who oversees access. She's actually the first Deputy Secretary for Access in the state and started this past January. It's amazing. Um, and she mostly focuses on equity issues, exactly what you're mentioning, having access and means having safe opportunities to be outside. And so basically what we've found is that the Central Valley is the most um, l lacking when it comes to outdoor recreation and access. Is the most Fresno is the most park poor community in the state. And so the state is opening a new state park um, in that area this coming spring, and we're really excited about that. So working on projects like that with the agency has been really awesome. Um, there's also plans to change Candlestick Park in San Francisco into a state park. Candlestick Park is where the 49ers used to play. Oh. Um, so that'll be cool to see that change. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be turned into an urban green space. And there's also other issues with equity that we see. I mean, we don't feel like, you know, equity exists until everyone feels welcome inside a park. And that's, you know, being anti-racist and standing up for those issues, but also having representation within state parks and making sure that there are equitable hiring processes and ways of getting people of color and underserved communities um, involved in that department. And so... We've been partnering on that, but also looking at it um, as a two-way street as we partner with the agency and saying, well, which companies of ours offer paid internships? Um, what can we do to make our workforce more equitable? Um, and so that's been, uh, you know, looking, putting ourselves underneath a, a magnifying glass to see what we're doing as well. Another thing that is brought up with the outdoors is access to gear. Um, a lot oh, yeah. of people... You know, there was a, a big joke about, I think it was making fun of people that ski in jeans. And I think people, there was a sticker that said um, Trump skis in jeans or something like that to be anti-Trump, but also making fun of that. But the thing is, people are skiing in jeans because they can't afford the gear, right? Yeah. Or the the pants that they need for skiing. And so that's a a big, a big issue um, that we're starting to take on and... Um, what we're looking at right now is establishing gear libraries throughout the state. And so what that would be is just like your normal book library, people can go and um, rent gear for cheap, you know, it's a, or for free, depending on what it is. And so um, 
we're starting to discover how we can create a pathway for that. That's a really cool idea. Um, because to your point, you know, especially depending on what the outdoor activity is, you know, that stuff can get quite expensive. Um, especially if it's something you just want to try out, you know, you don't know maybe if, if skiing is your thing or mountain biking or whatever that might be. Um, it's kind of hard to, Oh, let me spend a couple grand on this to, to try it out, you know? So they never get the opportunity in the, in the first place. Um, so that's a, that's a really cool idea. I haven't really heard of that as being, a or before of somebody trying to make that kind of a, a statewide, um, gear library. It's, that's awesome. What, yeah. I'm um, really excited about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Are there, I guess, is, is there, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Not a, um, oh, a pilot program, I guess, for that it kind of in the works. Not quite yet here. I believe Colorado has started something of the similar and I'm looking into what they've done. Um, but this is all brand new. The deputy secretary came on this year. So this is all, you know, she's come up with a plan and she's approached me with this plan. I'm like, I love this plan so much. I want to take it and go with it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we have amazing sponsors like the North Bay's REI Hydropack involved with Corp. And so um, basically I'm looking for ways that we can get gear. And I've talked to REI about it recently and they're so on board. Um, and REI has been doing a lot of work on equity, especially in California. And I've met with their store managers in Southern California and great folks. And so hopefully we're going to be able to establish something. They already have their garage sale, which um, puts gear that's been returned um, available to people at a lower value. But hopefully we can turn this around a little bit more and make it um, like a library <laughs> and yeah. have it a little bit more accessible. So yeah, we're, we're starting the part pilot program, I guess. And I, I'm looking at how do we do this? Do we do this um, on a private side or do we do this through state legislation or a combination of both? And um, it's it's very new and in the works, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's awesome. And having those kind of the the buy in, especially, you know, from the, those larger kind of well-known brands and stuff like that, you know, not only um you know, having their resources of, you know, whatever they're donating or helping with, but also, um, you know, it kind of adds some legitimacy to the idea of like, Hey, REI North face, like, you know, all these brands are helping us with this, you know, you should too type of deal. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. So over like the next, like, I don't know, six to 12 months. Cause I know it, it, you know, it takes some time for some of these things to happen. Is there, is there a project that you're like most excited about kind of uh working on yeah we're working on a career fair right now with the california natural resources agency it'll be the first one um that's been done as a partnership and so basically what we're looking at doing is probably in the spring or early summer around the time of graduation for college grads is having an accessible career fair where state agencies can come out and companies and nonprofit organizations and showcase jobs they have available, but also how do you get into your job? You know, like hopefully I'm ha yeah. hoping um, like guides, guide services will show up even though they might not have a job opening and just be there and available so that folks can learn how do you become a guide because you just don't like walk up and get a guide job typically, right? You <laughs> get certifications and there's a whole process. So basically this is all under our equity work and um, hopefully, 
you know, helping to have companies and the state have work, uh, workforce development um, in place. And so I'm excited about that. We're going to partner with Outdoor Industry Association on it. And um, it, hopefully it turns out to be a big turnout. California is a huge state, though. So yeah. my ideal situation is that we do this a few, a few times a year in different areas. <laughs> um, but Right now, it looks like it's going to be one location next year. Hey, well, you know, you got to start somewhere. And, and you know, that's great kind of giving the different uh, perspectives of, of what you can do career, career-wise career in the outdoors and kind of, you know, breaking down some of those barriers in that sense as far as, you know, what's what's possible. So sounds like some some awesome projects you have going on in the future. So, so to that point, kind of, uh, you know, one question I always like to ask our guests is kind of one piece of advice for our listeners and, and you know, I, I, your, your umbrella kind of covers uh, a bunch of different things, but I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you have some relationships as far as, you know, um, brands and, you know, people within the government and, and lobbyists and all those sorts of things. What what advice would you give someone that might not have those connections in their area? And maybe it's a smaller, I don't I don't know what the example would be. Maybe a smaller project in their county or something like that. Um, like where what would you tell them to start to kind of you know get bring people together to help them understand you know how this is impacting you know X property. Um, and and kind of begin to make that change. I would reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. If you see someone in your area doing work that you have an interest in, I'd ask them out to coffee um, or start volunteering. I think I always am a big fan of like the phrase, fake it till you make it. And I always encourage people to follow their dreams and don't get shy. Um, as I, I brought up earlier that it took me three years to get my dream job because I wanted people to know it's it doesn't happen overnight. And three years isn't that much time. I mean, people go to law school for three years and before yeah. they become a lawyer, right? But um, it it is a process. And so it's like you start one, somewhere. And so don't be afraid. Just send that email or make that phone call and ask um, if you want to get involved with advocacy, I'd say find a local organization. Um, we're a state outdoor business alliance. So there are state outdoor business alliances in most states. And so if you want to be connected with yours, I'm happy to try to make that connection. Um, they can send me an email. It's Lexi, L-E-X-I-E at californiaoutdoor.org. And um, that's a great way to get involved. Outdoor Alliance, Outdoor Industry Association, the Conservation Alliance, Outdoor Outreach. There are so many nonprofit organizations out there working on issues. Um, And volunteering is great if you have the time. Um, And that's a great way to meet people. People ask me also, how do you make friends? (laughs) Which (laughs) I I, I liken to networking, right? And um, I've had a lot of people say like, oh, you have so many friends or you know so many people. How do you network? And I just show up. That's like the biggest thing is like when I moved to Mammoth, I started going to Chamber of Commerce events, even though I wasn't a chamber member. <laughs> I just started going <laughs> and that's how I met people. So I think that's, yeah, to just show up. That's yeah. that's all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, that's all, you know, and, and not and, you know, to that the showing up part, you know, uh, not being afraid to kind of put yourself out there and, and I guess, you know, not feel 
don't feel as vulnerable when you, you know, go to a chamber of commerce event, even though, you know, you're not a part of the chamber, you know, put yourself out there and uh, good things, good things can happen. So to that point, where can people find you online um, to kind of see, see what you're working on, see how they can support um, and kind of get some inspiration for their own areas? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, you can go to California Outdoor Rec uh, is the handle on Instagram. Um, just search California Outdoor Recreation Partnership on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. Um, we're at californiaoutdoor.org for our website. If you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you can sign up for our e-newsletter, which has most of our information that goes out. And yeah, I'm happy to connect with anyone that has an interest or is interested in advocacy and how do you get involved. Um, and I just recommend that everyone votes <laughs> this next month. It's midterms. And uh, historically, you know, people don't turn out for midterms. And I think it's a really important one that we do turn up for, especially for outdoor recreation. Um, I know on the federal level, we are looking at some pretty key bills um, for equitable access and conservation, trail work, all that kind of stuff um, with Outdoor Industry Association. And so voting is very important right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everyone definitely uh, make sure you you check them out, see what they're up to, get involved in your community, get involved uh, with them if you're out in California. Um, but uh, Lexi, I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and the passion and all the awesome things that you're working on. Um, and I, I wish you all the best and luck uh, in your current and uh, future projects. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks for having us on and highlighting our work. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.